Amen. Well, it is good to be together again. We are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and uh, before I get started, I uh, had a chance to sit down and meet with our team, and I shared with them, hey, we're going to split up chapter 3 over several sections. Uh, the first section kind of focusing on uh, agriculture, which I think you heard a little bit about today in our scripture reading and in our prayers. Next week, talking about architecture is a kind of our big illustration. So if you guys could come up with an, uh, an elaborate illustration for that, it would mean the world to me as your pastor. And so, I think they did pretty good. Although I kind of wish the fruit and the food were real over on that tray, but, you know, we'll take what it is. I don't know if I just ruined the magic of the moment here by saying that, but there you go. You now know that's not real. However, there are other things on this stage that are very real. And so, again, I am just looking forward to uh, seeing what all our children will learn and what we will learn together as adults as well. Now, we are back in our series called Holiness, the Calling and the Challenge, where we've been walking through 1 Corinthians. Again, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, not only today, but for the next several weeks. And as we get into this chapter, I hope we see that Paul is literally giving a word of warning that's also wrapped in a word of encouragement. Now, this word of warning and word of encouragement that we are going to see today really reveals more of Paul's love for the Corinthians. And so we're, we're literally seeing more and more of, of Paul's love for the people on display. And because of this love, we see how Paul holds the people accountable to their growth and to their uh, maturation and their sanctification as they continue to grow in their own walk and in their own personal holiness. You see, I am convinced that that for us to be able to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we not only should seek to pray for one another as Paul does the Corinthians and encourage one another as Paul does the Corinthians as well, but we need to be willing to hold one another accountable so that all of us are continually growing in our own holiness and sanctification as we draw closer to the day of the Lord's return. Well, I believe this to be Paul's heart. In fact, if you look down at verse 9, you will kind of get a glimpse of Paul's heart today when he says, you are God's field, God's building. Now, we're going to get into uh, what Paul means about being God's building a little bit more next week. However, for this week, notice that Paul ends this passage by reminding the Corinthian Christians of who it is they now belong to. Now, I want us for a moment, just before we get into our passage, to really just, just pause and take stock for a moment of what it was that Paul just said to the Corinthian Christians. Just soak it in for a moment. We now belong to God. I don't know where you find yourselves this week or what you've been going through or what you've been dealing with, but here is the hope that we now learn from the Word of God, and that is this. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, now belong to God. And no one or nothing can take that away from us. Just breathe that in for a moment. Because that is a message of hope for us today. Now, as we look at our text, knowing that we now belong to God, that we are now 
God's field, Paul is going to address what, uh, what it means to be God's field as the believers in Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to explore together what it means to be God's field and what it is that we are now called to as the people who belong solely to God. So let's just hear this word of encouragement, but at the same time, hear the word of warning as we read, you are God's field. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And as we do each week, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, as we get into this text, I want us to see that Paul continues to write about the divisions that still exist between the Corinthian Christians. And so Paul tells them that he is now having to treat them not as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh. And what I want us to notice is Paul is literally introducing us to a third type of person, and more on that in a moment, or better yet, maybe a a subtype of a person that we talked about uh, two weeks ago. You see, because of their flesh, because of their own division, because of their envy against one another based on who it was they were following as their leader, Paul now says that he had prepared to give them meat, but now he has to give them milk. In other words, what Paul teaches as a word of warning this morning is he says that the people were not ready to dive deeper into the wonder and the works and the ways of God. You see, because of their envy, because of their strife, because of their own shallowness, they have now pitted themselves against one another based on who follows Paul versus who follows Apollos. So what Paul is going to do is he's going to remind the Corinthian Christians of a very simple truth. And he does this in verse 9 by saying, you are God's field. And as such, according to the text, you must learn now to care for the field And you must also know who it is that you now truly belong to. In other words, in the midst of a very complex life, Paul is going to simplify his argument with one simple truth, stating that God should be central to all that you say, God should be central to all that you do, 
God should be central to your life. Now, in order to make this point, Paul will remind the people of what it means to be God's field. And he will do this by making two points on what it means to be the field of God. So what I want us to do is look and discuss these two points together and look together at what it means to be God's field and how we are now called to act, speak, and live in light of that call, which I think is rather appropriate moving into VBS week. So, as God's field... Let's first see from Paul that we are called to tend the field faithfully. As God's field, we are called to tend the field faithfully. Look with me again at verses 1 through 4. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you were not yet ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not uh, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a or excuse me, let me start that over. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now let's just remember for a moment two weeks ago that Paul had just explained to the people that as Christians, they were now in the Spirit of God. Thus, what they knew of God, according to the teachings of God, they had learned through the Spirit that was now dwelling within them. However, Paul opens this passage by saying these words, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now, Paul literally says to the people, though you have the Spirit in you, I am now having to address you, according to the text, as people of the flesh. In other words, Paul is calling the people out on still living by the ways of the world, though, by grace, they now have the Spirit of God living within them. I mean, talk about an opening statement that would have been a shock to the Corinthian Christians because Paul is literally saying to them that he cannot address them as Christians due to the divisions and the, the factions that exist between them. And oh, by the way, all of these divisions were created by them. I mean, could you just imagine that for a moment? Imagine just, just Paul saying in this moment, you believers are so divided that I can't even tell that you are believers in the first place. You are ruining your witness due to your own division. I mean, this literally flies in the face of what Jesus teaches us in John chapter 13, verse 35, when he says this, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, this is like slapping someone in the face with cold water. Has that ever happened to you before where someone has thrown cold water in your face? Better yet, have you ever been the one holding the cold water? There's kind of a, a difference in shock and joy that takes place in that moment, right? A little more shocking to be hit with the water, a little more joyful when you're the one throwing it, right? Now, imagine you're the one that's being hit with this water in them for a moment. Because that's literally what's happening to the, Christ, the Corinthian Christians. Paul is saying, look, you are so divided amongst yourselves that I can't even tell that you're followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, I see you gather. 
and I see you worship, but then I see your division. And now I just don't know. You see, here's the sad reality for us today. You see, we here at Southside Baptist Church are a Southern Baptist church. And we are heading into convention this week. And already, if you've been watching anything on social media, you will see the division that now exists within our convention. And some people have asked, well, Pastor, why don't you and and, and Corey and the other elders speak into this as well on social media? Well, the answer to that is because I don't think you accomplish anything on social media. I've never seen anybody win an argument over social media, by the way. So the only thing I know to do is to turn to the word of God and continue to pray because here's what's happening. Literally, the world around us is saying that very same thing about our convention. They're saying you are so divided amongst yourselves that I can't even tell that you believe in Jesus Christ anymore. Now, coming back to our text this morning to soften the blow, Paul's going to continue, and he calls them infants in Christ. And here's where we see Paul really add a third category to what we talked about uh, two weeks ago, or better yet, a subcategory. Remember, we talked about the natural person versus the spiritual person, or better yet, the non-believer versus the believer. And so Paul now opens with this third category, which is an infant. He literally says that, that they are carnal, which they shouldn't be. He says in in calling them an infant that they are literally unstable. They are in no man's land. And if they don't repent, judgment awaits. Now again, many people would think, man, that's a harsh word to use for an infant because we've got some cute infants around here. I agree, we do. But put the infant on the floor and tell me how far it gets. Not very far if it can't crawl yet, correct? What does it do? Eventually, it's fine, it's cute, and then what happens? It starts to scream, it starts to cry, and it starts to kick its arms and legs. Guess what we do when we're divided? We begin to kick and scream like infants. Now, Paul's going to continue from there and explain why he believes that they are still in this infant state. He goes on in verse 2 and says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, this reasoning had to cut deep for the Corinthian Christians because they prided themselves on their own wisdom. And so Paul says to them, listen, you think you're ready for more, but you're not. Because you're not even getting the simple things right. Now, Paul actually says something similar to this when you flip over to to Hebrews chapter 5. So we can assume that when Paul talks about milk here, he's really talking about the elementary teachings of the gospel. Paul says, look, if you couldn't handle the milk then let me be honest with you, you're not ready for the steak. If you couldn't handle the milk, you're not not ready for the solid food. Now, some scholars at this point have argued that Paul was actually saying that these people were not believers because they were not ready for the word. However, I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about at all here. You see, he's not saying that the content of the the teaching is the issue, but rather he's saying that the receptiveness of the hearer is the issue. In other words, it's not just about a head knowledge anymore. It's it's about a heart knowledge. There's a disconnect that is now happening in the life of the believer. So brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who have been called God's field and clearly see that we are called to now tend the field, I think we really need to heed 
the words of Paul here and ask ourselves this question. Are we so divided as Christians that we no longer hear or understand the truth of the word of God when it is proclaimed? Are we so divided into our tribes and and into our, our, our factions that we are not even receptive to the word at any level in our life? And Paul would say, if this is us, then tend the field faithfully and repent. Paul continues in his text to explain further as to why they can't handle the solid food. He says to them, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is still jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? Paul says, look, you are still worldly. And because of that worldliness, the Corinthian Christians were were unable to even go deeper into their own faith and walk with the Lord. Now, this was all evidenced because they were still living in a worldly division within the church. You see, the people, again, were divided over to who to follow, which takes us back to the argument that Paul made in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says this, he says, You believe that following man proves your spiritual maturity. But all it does is reveal your spiritual poverty. Thus, Paul tells them that they are still living on a human level. You are still living of the flesh. You are still living of the world. And therefore, you are not at a spiritual level. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, according to the words of Paul here, in order to tend the field faithfully, we've got to be honest about where we are. Are we in a place, in a position where we are hearing, and not just hearing, but we're receiving the teaching of the word? When we we seek to, to, to hear the word taught and seek to understand the word, are we simply seeking it as head knowledge that never translates to the heart? At the same time, let me ask you this question. As as those who are seeking to grow, can I just say this to you? And I want to say this with with just all grace and humility at this point. and, And hear my heart on this. If our only exposure to discipleship according to the word of God is the worship experience on Sunday morning. Then can I tell you we are missing out? We are truly missing out. If we're not engaged in in the morning discipleship, if we're not engaged in our our prayer gatherings on Sunday night, if we're not engaged in in our our gospel communities, then then, then we're missing out somewhere. Because Paul's going to teach us that in order to tend this field faithfully, we've got to be a people who gather around the Word. We've got to be a people who, who read, or, or if, you, if you've got a, a hoopla or whatever the other podcasts are where you can listen to books, you've got to listen to good stuff. But don't just listen to the good books. Immerse yourself in the Bible. You see, as believers in Christ who want to tend the field faithfully and continue to be discipled, we have to be a people who, who seek to be a part of groups that are, that are seeking to grow in their own personal holiness, that are seeking to be challenged according to the Word of God, and thus they are willing to hold one another accountable. You see, and when we begin to do these things, then it will keep us from getting lost in division. And ultimately, we will be focused on what matters, which is to tend the field faithfully. You see, this is something that just doesn't make sense to me as a believer in Jesus Christ. 
I don't understand how so many around us can say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I worship Jesus, but all I give Jesus is an hour and a half on Sunday morning. If that is all our faith amounts to, then do we truly love the Lord? Do we truly know the Lord? And if that is us today, hear the word of warning, but hear it in grace, hear it in love. Paul says, tend the field. Because you got some weeds growing. Take care of the field that is your soul. Ask others to help you with the same. Now, Paul moves on from here and now teaches really a second aspect that we need to adhere to as God's field today. So not only does he teach us to tend the field faithfully, but, but as God's field, he teaches us to trust God with the growth. Look with me again in verses 5 through verse 9. Paul writes, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field. You are God's building. Notice how Paul opens this next section by giving the Corinthian Christians really a great perspective on his own role and the role of Apollos and really really just the role of, of pastors and elders and leaders in general. He says this, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. You see, for Paul, living and writing in a world that wanted to popularize orators and those with good rhetoric, Paul now teaches that he and Apollos were simply the servants, or better yet, they were simply the vehicles that God used to bring faith to the Corinthians. So their effectiveness was not inherent upon themselves. Rather, it was the Lord who was doing the work in and through their lives. You see, that holds true for us today. In a world that likes to, to play up the popular pastors, many of whom really don't want the accolades, some who thrive in the accolades, in a world that plays up the popular pastor and downplays the local church, let's not lose sight that God has called local churches led by local biblical men as elders to faithfully and biblically lead the church. And can I just tell you something this morning? Something I just learned this morning. Didn't even realize it, getting ready for convention. Do you realize that over 75% of our churches currently average in attendance 150 or less? And those are the men and the leaders who are being faithful. And they are the ones who have been called by God to lead the local church. And here's the reality with those local leaders. By God's grace, they are doing the work not for their own accolade but rather they're doing it for God to be glorified above all else so that if there is any success in ministry, they say it is the work of the Lord. Look at what he has done. Now, Paul continues from there. He says this wonderful phrase. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God 
gave the growth. Again, Paul is teaching us that it is the work of the Lord that is happening in this place. But what I want us to notice is the phrase that Paul uses. He says, listen, I watered, Apollo, or excuse me, I, I planted and Apollos watered. Notice that Paul distinguishes the uniqueness of his ministry with the uniqueness of the ministry of Apollos. In other words, he's saying no two pastors, no two elders are going to go about doing ministry the same way. Every leader has a different passion. And thanks be to God for that. I I get the the, the blessing of sitting in a room of, of elders who all have a different passion. And the beauty of it is, sometimes in those passions, we disagree. So thanks be to God, I never find myself sitting in a room with yes men. Because trust me, if they were yes men, I want you to know the walls would have been red, the carpet would have been black, and we might sing glory, glory, go Georgia every fall. But we don't do that, do we, Jed? No, absolutely not. I'll point to Jed because he's a gator, but that's another conversation we'll deal with later. But you see, all these brothers have a different passion. And there's a diversity that comes within their passion. It's the same diversity that existed between Paul and between Apollos. They had different passions. And Paul says this diversity within the ministries, it's a good thing. You see, when it comes to the local church, I think what Paul would affirm is the beauty that is found in the diversity and the passion that each individual elder has. Because the diversity from each elder helps the church continue to grow so that the church is not heavily swayed in one particular area. We have brothers who are passionate about discipleship. We have brothers that are passionate about missions. We have brothers that are passionate about evangelism. Thanks be to God, all of us are passionate about fellowship. We like to gather. We like to eat. It's what we do. So you see the diversity that Paul speaks of in the text. This diversity does not contradict the Lord's work. Rather, the growth that comes through the diversity is the Lord's doing himself. You see, as God does a work here, or even as, a, as, a, as, a, as another brother preaches from this pulpit, let's be a people who recognize what God is doing and give God the glory for what he's doing versus lifting up one man over another. You see, I never want to be a church where when we walk out of this place, we say, man, I am so thankful for Johnny and his preaching, but doggone it, I wish Forrest was up there. Or Forrest may be preaching, and you'd be like, you know, I love this brother, he's a good preacher, or, or he led us well in worship, but doggone it, I wish Corey was up there, he's way better. You see, when we begin to do that, Paul teaches us that now we're elevating man. And the reality is we need to say, look at what God is doing, and look at what he has done. You see, I think this is an important lesson for us and for a lot of churches in our area today because uh, this is really important for us to think about because churches are going to change. Churches actually change over time, believe it or not, because the reality is no two leaders are alike. And thanks be to God for that. I am, I am so thankful for that. For some of you guys who've, who've been around with us from the beginning, uh, you probably remember my predecessor, Chad Driggers, right? Chad is a faithful brother. He is a, an elder of another church. By God's grace, he is still in this area. And I'm so thankful to that. But let me tell you, I, 
I love Chad, and I know Chad loves me. And here's how I know Chad loves me. Because when I call Chad, he answers. Okay? When I text Chad, guess what he does? He texts me back. When I, when I call Chad and, and it's a missed phone call, I know by the end of the day, my brother Chad is going to reach back out to me. I have no doubt. And yes, we do get together and hang out. It's a wonderful time of just two brothers in Christ getting together, praising God for what he's doing, not only in our individual lives as, as, as pastors, but as, as husbands and as fathers. It's just a beautiful thing. But here's the reality. Chad and I are not the same guy. And I say that to say this, and I know he would agree. Our hope should not be placed solely on the man who is leading. But rather, our hope should be on the one who is leading the man, which should be Jesus Christ and his word. You see, that really should be our prayer for the church, right? I don't know how you pray, but I would encourage you to pray for your pastors, pray for your elders. Don't hear that as like self, uh, self I don't know what that word's called, I'm losing it. Self-gratifying, thank you, thank you, Rex. God bless you, dude. I'm struggling with words today and I'm so thankful you're here. It really sounds self-gratifying, doesn't it? But that's not at all what I'm saying here, okay? Because I don't know how you go home and pray. You may go home and pray on Sunday afternoons and go, God, if you could give us a better pastor, that'd be awesome. And if that's your prayer, don't tell me. Just don't tell me, okay? Rather, what I hope we are all praying is this, God, when it comes to our pastors and our elders, Father, I pray that they would cling tightly to your word and that they would draw closer to you every day as they faithfully seek to shepherd us. You see, that should be our hope and our prayer for our church. Now notice what Paul says. He continues in verse 7, and he really gives us the conclusion of what he talked about in verse 5 and 6. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But again, second time he says this phrase, but only God who gives the growth. Notice again that Paul says, when compared to God, the one who plants the churches, the one who waters and disciples the churches, when it comes to God, they are nothing. Now again, Paul is not trying to downplay the role of the pastor and elder for the local church, but rather what he's trying to focus the people on, on the issue of the source of our growth. And that source is not man. It is God and God alone. So here's the truth for us this morning. God alone deserves all of the credit for the results of the ministry of the local church. No one pastor, no one elder, no one leader, no one member should ever boast about any work that they are doing unless that boast is focused on the confidence of what the Lord has done. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, recently there was a prominent pastor talking about all that he had done over his years of ministry, and he said this line, and I quote, I have discipled more pastors and sent more missionaries than any of our seminaries combined. I say that to say to you, when you hear these words, heed the word of Paul. Hear the warning of Paul, because this man is boasting in himself, and he's not boasting in what the Lord has done. At the same time, if someone who says to us that they are a Christian, and then says to us, look at me, look at all that I have done, look at my ministry, look at my mission, look at all that I have done for the church, it would not exist without me. Paul says, be careful. Paul says, be warned. 
because they're boasting in themselves when in fact they should boast in the Lord. In fact, Paul goes on to say this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, when he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. How much more direct do we need to be than that? Now, coming back to our text, Paul circles back to correcting any misconception that may have come from verse 7 as he was talking about himself and as he was talking about other pastors. When we read verse 8, he says that he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now, notice how Paul comes back to those who serve the church. He says of them that those who serve the local church are and should be seeking to simply carry out the will of God. So they are important because of the one who has called them to the work. Now, here is our truth from this text. All growth comes from God. But at the same time, by God's grace, he has given the local church elders and pastors to faithfully lead them. They are the ones who have been called by the church and yet they are being held accountable by the church and held accountable by God himself, which is why he also says, Paul says, each will receive his wages according to his labor. It's the same thing that James writes about in James chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now again, this is not to say that the church has no role in holding pastors accountable, but rather, as a pastor, teacher, and elder, it will be God who himself will also hold pastors and elders accountable for his teaching and for his leadership. And I want to say this morning, thanks be to God for this passage. Thanks be to God that that we are being held accountable. But here's the reality. We need to continue to pray for God to call up Bible-believing, Bible-teaching pastors who will lead our churches to give the glory to God for all that takes place. Now, why would that be so important? Well, just think about the Tampa area for a moment. In our area alone, there are over 20 sister churches looking for pastors. Now, here's what that tells me. Two things. One, that church may not have a pastor because they're divided in factions, and maybe they need to do some repenting. Maybe they need to to draw back to the, the purpose of why we gather for worship, and that is to glorify God alone. Maybe that's the issue. Issue number two that I believe is this. I believe as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to recognize that there's a shortage of Bible-believing, Bible-teaching pastors. And so we need to pray for God to call up more men to accept that call and challenge to faithfully lead the local church. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll begin to see God do a wonderful work throughout our community. Coming back to the text, we get into verse 9. Paul closes by saying, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. Again, notice how Paul says that he and Apollos are fellow workers with God. In other words, he simply says that, look, we're just being faithful to the work that God has called us to as those who also belong to God. I mean, literally, they are living out Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, when it says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, the reality is this, is that God has called some to serve as pastors and elders. But hear this, 
God has called all to faithfully serve the local church. And at the end of it all, here's the reality. No matter what happens in the local church, no matter what happens in our lives, it is still God who is doing all of the work. It is God who is causing the growth. So we can affirm with Paul and say, let us continue to trust God for the growth. Let us continue to trust God with what it is that he is doing in this place. And then what happens in our text is Paul's going to close this agricultural illustration and really leave us with a cliffhanger for our next passage as he describes people in terms of architecture. But either way, whether talking about fields or talking about buildings, we see our simple truth again. Our hope is found in what God has done. Our hope is found in what God is doing. Now, listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, I know and understand that it would be much easier in our minds and our hearts to simply say that we should just stop and do things our own way. We say that because we get in a rush. We say that because we want things done on our timetable. But what we need to do in this moment is pause and recognize that it is still God who is doing the work. Let me explain to you what I mean. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is God who did the work. We might have just been faithful messengers, but it's God who did the work. When someone grows in their own understanding of the Lord and they begin to faithfully serve through the local church and and serve on mission, that is God who has done the work. God who has called up his people. As a church begins to flourish and thrive and grow and begins to expand its evangelism efforts and its its missions efforts and continues to grow together collectively as, as a part of many members making up one body. That is God who calls the church to flourish. Maybe you look around and you wonder what is happening. You look around in a place and you're like, what is going on? Why does, this, why does this feel like everything's just falling apart around me? Well, then let me encourage you with Paul's words again. And that is this, rest in knowing that God is not done. He is the one who is moving. So church family, let's not lose sight of our need to trust God with the growth. Can I just say something to you simply? I think Paul probably would have said it better. Just say it simply. God has us. He's never going to let us go. God has this place. God has his people. And can I say this to you? If God has us and is not going to let us go, if God has this place, if God has his people, then can you just rest in this knowledge? God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten me. Let's trust what he is doing. Let's trust what he will do. Let's praise God as we continue to trust him with the growth. You see, the Christian life is a very complex life to live. And as we have seen, it's easy to forget who we are. It's easy to lose sight of not only who we are, but what we believe, and thus we begin seeking after the wisdom of the world. In other words, as Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, it's easy to fall into the trap of becoming a carnal Christian, or better yet, a worldly Christian. But hear the words of Paul again. 
He says we can't do that. He says we can't be carnal and we can't be worldly and then find ourselves serving Jesus Christ. Why? Because ultimately those things do not go together. You will ultimately serve one over the other. It will never be both. You cannot serve God and serve the world. So as Christians, let me encourage you this week, cling tightly to the world. Cling tightly to the word. Cling tightly to the word. Many of you are wearing it on your shirt right now. You are keepers of the kingdom. I love that phrase. We know the kingdom because we know Christ. We know the kingdom because we know the word. And by his grace, we have the opportunity to share the goodness of God and the kingdom that is to come and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So cling tightly to the word. And let's continue to trust the wisdom that comes from the spirit of God. Again, our call is not to honor and celebrate the work of man in the church, but rather we are called to praise God for how he worked through the man. I hope that as we prepare for this week, we remember the encouragement given to us from Paul in this passage. Christian, rest in knowing that you are God's field. But also know that as God's field, you are called to tend the field faithfully. Take care of yourselves according to the word. Faithfully serve one another according to the word. Faithfully shepherd one another and care for one another according to the word. And as God's field, trust God for the growth. You see, when we begin to do those things faithfully together, we're going to be reminded and encouraged that at the end of the day, we truly are God's field. And as we're going to find out next week, oh, by the way, you are also God's building. More on that to come. But here's the reality. Nothing nor no one can ever take us from the hands of God. I want to leave you with this quote from Martin Luther. He says it this way. He says, the whole being of any Christian is faith and love. Faith brings the man to God. Love brings him to mend. Church, tend the field. Trust God. And let's get to work. All for the glory of God. Let's pray together.